and I'm old enough to be all your fathers as well, so thank you for that. Thank you, Matt. Appreciate that. And uh, you know that uh, video, the first part, uh, Empty Promises, there was, if you're a dad, you sort of feel sort of cathartic when you saw it actually, that's just me. Okay. All right. Well, listen, uh, we're on parenting this morning. We're in a book called Ephesians. It's written to the city of Ephesus in the country today we call Turkey, and it's all about living life better together. And we want to be talking about how to make a good family life. And so it coincides with this being Father's Day. So the emphasis is going to be a lot on fathers, but it really can splash over to moms and parents in general as well. And uh, I just want to give you a, a, an, an alert uh, as to the whole parenting thing. I am a parent. I am a father, have been that way for about 33 years, and uh, I'm still learning as I go. But I want to give you a fair warning uh, for anything you hear from me in terms of parenting advice. Uh, way back uh, when Jessica, our oldest, uh, was approximately three years old, one of the things that we would do on my day off is I would be in charge of her. Uh, Joy, my wife, would be working in the doctor's office, kind of the back office kind of stuff, and uh, enjoy that on a part-time basis. And so on my day off, she was there working. And uh, one of the things we love to do on her day off is to, I would take Jessica to Miguel's Jr., uh, which in those days was only in Corona. Now you find Miguel's and Orange and in Costa Mesa and some other areas as well. We love the bean and rice and cheese burrito. And we would order one. Yeah, they like that bean. And they're like two bucks. I mean, uh, boy, Father's Day. Good place to go. Cheap, easy, in and out. And uh, you'll be regretting it in 24 hours. But uh, in any case, it's still good stuff. And we enjoy it, loved it. So I'd go and we'd buy two burritos, one for me and one for her. And, of course, I would eat all of mine and two-thirds of hers because she can't eat a whole burrito when you're three. And uh, so we would do things like that. And one day I was uh, there in the kitchen, and, and I was in charge. Uh, Joy was not there. She was at the doctor's office. And, and so I was uh, fussing around in the kitchen, the family room, and sort of lost track of her and then discovered, oh, she's in the backyard. And it's a safe, all-fenced-in sort of a backyard. And then I looked at her wandering around in the grass, and she was looking down in the grass, and then she started picking up stuff and sticking it in her mouth and started chewing it. And so I rushed out there to find out what it was, and it was dog poo. And uh, so she was chewing this dog poo in her mouth, and so I was trying to get it out. And it was a pretty disgusting uh, thing from me being a germaphobe anyways, and to realize I have a daughter that has done that. And so... Uh, Anything, any, any wounds, anything that she brings up now, it all goes back to that day uh, as to when life started. I called the doctor, Dr. Iragoyan was Joy, the doctor that she worked for, and uh, the medical staff that was in the office there in Corona. I said, hey, Jessica just ate a bunch of dog poo. What should we do? Should I bring her in? Is there a shot or something I should give her? ER, what should we do? And they all just laughed, and they just uh, thought it was the biggest and the funniest thing. And I think they might have said something about helping her immune system, and so I'm not sure. So I want to let you know that when it comes to parenting, uh, there are going to be those things that I really am, you know, it, it's still a mystery. How to love Joy the way I should love her to make her feel loving and how to be a parent, there's so much mystery <laughs> that I'm still learning how to do those things. So I just want to give you that fair warning. But I do love the positive for dads. We love dads, we love fathers, we believe in them. And they have a tremendous role. There's an actor whose name is Terry Crews, C-R-E-W-S. So you may have seen him. He's on certain TV shows these days. He's a big, strong, buff guy. 
They used to have a reality show, but he and his family, he and his wife and their kids, a lot of faith-based stuff, Christian guy, and he proclaims Christ and, and, uh, as you hear from him and tries to live it out. Well, Terry Crews is on the TV show The View, uh, where the women sit around and talk about nothing. And uh, as they were uh, doing that, uh, Terry Crews was the kind of the star on that show. And Terry Crews said this. He says, there are some things only a father can give you. Well, the women, a lot of them are in a position where they just disagree with any kind of pro-dad type of thing. And there was an uproar. You said, I've done this, I've done that. We don't need dads, what it's all about. And then there was this onslaught of emails and Facebook postings. And it was just a landslide of, of blasting Terry for having to dare to say that there's only certain things that a dad can do. Well, Mitch Album, who you might hear his name, he is on this uh, Tuesdays with Maury and uh, widely read and written author from the Detroit area, Detroit Free Press. Well, he picked up on that, and he wrote this little paragraph entitled, uh, When Did Fathers Become Expendable? What does a father bring to the table? I can cite a few things I got from my own. Strength, quiet confidence, discipline, responsibility, and love all displayed differently than my mother, who was fine. My father also taught us how to be a husband, how to respect a woman, when to lead, when to support. It's true, not all men are like my dad, but plenty are. And fatherhood didn't suddenly, after thousands of years, lose its value. It may be trendy to dismiss dads as little more than fertilizer, Funny thing is, I remember someone from my childhood frequently saying, he needs his father to do that, and it was my mother who said that. Well, I appreciate Mitch Album. He doesn't come from an evangelical Christian sort of where we are coming from, a biblical sort of way, but he recognizes sort of a general truth that God had designed a world in a certain way, and we love dads, we love our dads, and we love to be a dad and uh, want to play up what God has given to us in the fathers that are here this morning. So I'm going to pick up on some of those things and try to bring balance to the whole area. And there's an outline that is available that you will find very helpful, I think, both today and then in the next coming week. But I want to read in Ephesians chapter 6. As we go through the book of Ephesians, this is a passage that uh, is the parenting passage for the city of Ephesus, the church that is there. Today, there are thousands and thousands of books on how to love your wife, how to love your husband, how to be a dad, how to be a mom, uh, how to have a family. There's thousands of books that are available for that. Well, back when Paul wrote this, way back in the first century A.D., this, these four verses, that was the sum total of the parenting classes to help moms and dads do their job. The culture in those days dramatically different than today. In those days, the father was the chief architect of the family. The father could make the child be a slave, could sell the child to slavery. And there was never a day when the child outgrew the father's role as the master of the home. In fact, I have a quote on there of a letter that was written about a man who talked about having a certain child, and if the child didn't work out, just leave it. They would just let a child just die out there on its own. And so the whole idea of parenting was so different to the world in which Paul wrote this than it is today. 
those things that they would do in those days, half the people in that community would have been in jail. And yet Paul now writes this in that context. And he says, children, in Ephesians 6, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long life on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. And that's the parenting class in the first century church. And so we want to add to that. Let me, let me just explore this and develop some points that I think are key for us, especially for those of us who are dads. Children are to obey and honor their parents. There's probably not a person here doesn't know that that's a true statement. And that's a good statement. And yet there are challenges that come with it as we will explore as we go on. Again, Paul writes, children obey your parents and Lord for this is right. And then he has in the hall caps in the New American Standard Version of the translation of the scriptures. And that means he's taking this from the Old Testament. This is in the first, in the Ten Commandments of if he, in uh, Exodus 20. He says, honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live a long life on earth. So he asks us to obey and to honor. The word honor is this idea of expressing value to someone. Good illustration where honor was used in Acts 28.10. They also honored us with many marks of respect when, they were, when we were setting sail. They supplied us with what we needed. The idea of honoring our parents is to give to them what they need and deserve. That comes out of a context of selfless service. So he says, I want you to obey. I want you to honor. Now, a lot of us in this room are sort of beyond the obey years because a lot of that was written for young children. But moves us into the honoring years where we honor our parents. And I'm in that age. Now, my dad is in heaven. My mother is in heaven. Joy's dad, my wife, her father is in heaven. Her mother is in heaven. So Joy and I are next in line to die in our family. So we're, we're preparing. But there is this sense that when you get to be older and we're out of the home, there is this sense of honor we want to give, more so than the sense of obedience. So I want to explore that whole thing of honoring. We are to do that. Paul gives us three reasons. I want to go through this quickly. Because it pleases the Lord. He says, I want you to do it in the Lord for this is right. We know we live better lives when moms and dads are giving to us instruction that comes from God that we obey. Life just generally goes better that way. Secondly, we are to honor and obey our parents because it's a priority to God. Paul says in Ephesians 6, which is the first commandment with the promise, it was not chronologically the first commandment. It was the first commandment of priority. God says, I understand that this is going to make life a better for you because he says, thirdly, because you will live well and longer that way so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. God is on our side. God is not trying to oppose us and make life miserable. God's not handing down commandments so that my life is just frustrating all the time. God says, I've given you all these things because I want it to go well. I want you to enjoy life. I want you to live a long life. And sometimes we think, God's no longer on my side. But he is. So he says, here, here, do this. Because I want it to go well with you. I'm really your, I'm championing your cause as you as a person, as a dad, as a mom, as a child, whatever may be our lot in life. And I think about this. Here's what I was thinking about this last week as I studied this. 
God says, I want you to honor your parents. And I had to think, well, is there a role that I have as a dad? We've got two girls, and they're all grown and out of the home. But they still are in a place that I want them to honor me. And is there anything that I can do that would help them make it easier to honor me? And I thought about my own dad. I honor him. He's with Jesus. But I think back to the days that he lived on earth that still are fresh in my mind. And the beautiful thing about the Bible, if you're not a student of the Bible, I encourage you to become a student of the Bible. Because the beautiful thing about the Bible is this. The best commentator on the Bible is the Bible. So when Paul says, I want you to honor your parents, I say, well, God, why should I? How should I? What's it look like? And then God says, okay, go to other portions of God's word where the word honor is used, and I'll teach you what makes you want to honor your parents. I'll teach you what you can do that makes your children want to honor you. So that's what I did. I chased the word honor around in the Old Testament. And it came to Proverbs. Proverbs is filled with a lot of verses on honoring people or getting honor. So let me show you some of the scriptures that teach us what makes people want to honor us. What makes my children want to honor me? What makes me want to honor my dad? And so let me show some snapshots. Think of this as sort of an Instagram of little vignettes that makes me want to honor my dad. And not to say that he's so much better than us or you or your dad, but simply these stories that cause me to say, I, I honor you, Dad. John Mitchell, I honor you. And so he's not perfect, but he did enough that makes me honor him easily. So let me show you. For example, Proverbs 21, 21 says this. He who pursues righteousness and loyalty finds life, righteousness, and honor. So, he who pursues righteousness finds honor. That's what God says, finds honor. I thought about my own dad. He's a pastor uh, for 30-plus years at Bethany Bible Church in the Phoenix, Arizona area where I grew up. And I remember getting up early as a kid, you know, like 12, 13, and just unthinkable that I would get up early. But occasionally, maybe once a year, I'd get up early. And I'd wander down the hallway and I'd wander into the family room. It's like 6, 6.30. I remember wandering into that family room, and I could still see it like a, you know, we didn't have Instagram in those days. I mean, we had the Polaroids, but it didn't quite work. But I still remember the Instagram that I have of my dad is, implanted in my brain cells. And I remember looking at him in the family room on his knees with his hands and elbows resting on our family room couch as he prayed for our family and our church. I have that imprinted in my mind. Praying does not make you a righteous man, but righteous men and women. They pray. And to see him humbly on his knees 
asking for God's favor upon us and the ministry. I still see that. I just stumbled upon it. And he lived this righteousness displayed in that little vignette of prayer. And I feel like I want to honor him. That makes me easy for me to honor him. Proverbs also says this in 22.4. The reward of humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. The reward of humility, honor. God says, I, I will give honor to those who are humble. My dad was the most humble man I've ever known in my life. And he lived it. My dad pastored a church when we went to Phoenix, Arizona in 1955. About 75 people, then it grew, and God just blessed Bethany. I have such good memories of growing up at Bethany Bible Church. It was such a positive and healthy community of believers that truly lived the life of Christ. Not perfectly, but good enough to make me say that. And it was a wonderful community of believers. It, it was 2,000-plus members and started about a half a dozen churches like Trinity Bible, Biltmore Bible, Camelback Bible, had a hand in, in, in Scottsdale Bible Church. So many churches were started out of Bethany Bible Church that way back in those days, the Christianity Day, the, one of the leading evangelical magazines, listed the top 100 denominations in the country. And in that top list of 100 denominations in the country was the Bethany Bible Church denomination which is ironic because their big claim to fame is that we're non-denominational. But because of the network of churches, so all these churches and all this influence, and my dad is in the centerpiece having come there before all of them existed and sort of lived there for 30-plus years serving as pastor. So had, uh, we had a lot of very wealthy people, kind of a white-collar church, executives that would attend the church. Uh, the man who founded uh, Ping Golf Clubs went there, that type of thing. But I do remember my dad, most importantly, at this moment, on his day off on Monday, he would put on his old dirty clothes, this big floppy hat, and go over with tools in his trunk, he'd pull weeds at the church, he'd chop down stuff that shouldn't be growing there, he'd clean up this, he'd take care of that, and he looked like the gardener of the church. And no one would have known that he is the senior pastor of this church. And if the executives that are in their high-towered, white-collar offices had seen my dad, they would have thought, oh, do we hire a new gardener right here? That's John Mitchell. Now, you don't have to do that to be humble. But what I remember about my dad is that he never saw a role that he could not serve the Lord in, and he didn't look for preeminence, he didn't look for position. He didn't look for prestige. He simply saw a need, and he was willing to do whatever it took, regardless of his own well-being, and serve the Lord in it. I still have images of him in those dirty old clothes, cleaning up the church. Did we have other people there? Absolutely. There was a team of people that did that. But he joined them. I think about that as being a small picture of what I saw throughout his life of humility, that no job was too big or too small. And it makes, me, makes it easy for me to honor him. So Proverbs tells us. Proverbs 3.35 says, The wise inherit honor, but fools display dishonor. The wise inherit honor. Wisdom brings honor. And when we dispense wisdom, there is honor that returns from that wisdom. 
and uh, it's not what the finances and the homes and the cars and the goodies and the toys that makes me want to honor my parents. It was the wisdom that he passed on to me. I remember way back when I was in Phoenix Christian High School and played football there, played football in high school. And again, like I said, first hour, by looking at me, you probably think I was pretty good. It's a joke. I wasn't that good at all. But I hated to play football in the summer in August. You ever been to Phoenix in, the August, in August? Go to Phoenix in August and it'll scare the hell out of you and you'll make sure you never want to go to hell because it feels like hell. It really does. It's really hot and humid and these monsoons that come through, these sandstorms, and et cetera. So I, in, in full pads in August in Phoenix, and they just mow the grass, and so you got all this sticky, icky grass that's getting down inside, and you take salt pills at the end. And back in those days, when you played football in the summer, Coach Vandermullen, who was the coach, Coach Vandermullen says, you don't get a drink until practice is over because we're going to make men out of you. So for two hours, we're sweating like pigs, and you can't have a drink of water because it means you're weak. <laughs> Anyways, it's just insane, I think, back in those days. And so I did that, and my friend Gary and I, we decided, you know, we're going to quit because it's too hard. So I went home. We always had dinner together as a family. I told my dad at dinner, hey, Dad, I quit football today. And, oh, the wrath of John Mitchell arose. <laughs> he, oh, oh, boy, you can see, oh, I, I touched a nerve there, I thought to myself. He says, you quit football, huh? I said, yeah, it's just too hard. I said, David, and I still remember this phrase, and I've used it here before. David, your problem is this. You're always taking the path of least resistance. I still remember that phrase. You're taking the path of least resistance. What I want for you is that when you start something, I want you to finish it. When you have a problem, I want you to solve it. When life is hard, I want you to push through it. I want you to persevere because it's not where you start, it's how you finish. So I want you to reconsider your decision and do the hard thing because it'll be the good thing in the long run. I still remember that conversation around the dinner table with my mother and my sister sitting there listening to him give me wisdom. And that wisdom still echoes in my brain when it's been hard here, when it's been hard elsewhere. I still live. That was 55 years ago. And I still live with that Instagram image of that conversation. And I find it really easy to honor my dad because he gave me wisdom. And I invite us to be dads like that as well. He expresses a spirit of grace. Proverbs 19.11 says, A man's discretion makes him slow to anger. It is to a glory, honor, to overlook a transgression. Spirit of grace brings honor. Back in those days at Bethany Bible Church, this is unbelievable to some of you maybe, but in those days we had Sunday night church every Sunday night. And we'd all come. Everybody was there. And we actually sort of, sort of liked it. <laughs> so at 6 o'clock we're all there and having church together. And then after church we'd have youth group. So 6 to 7.30, youth group from 7.30 to 9 at somebody's home. 
And so the, I remember the one Sunday night, I had a girlfriend back there at, in, uh, in high school, and she didn't go to our church, but for some reason she came to church that Sunday night. So we sat together, and then afterwards, I said, oh, I'll take her home. So I took her home, and as I took her home, I remembered, oh, that's right. We're having the youth group come to our house. So my parents were hosting the youth group at our home. And so I'm heading the opposite direction. She lived about 15, 20 minutes away outside of the area where we were at. And the youth group were going to my home, which is about five minutes from the church. And so as all the youth group and the youth leaders gathered together, they were saying to my parents, where's David? Where's David? Why isn't David here? We thought he would be part of this because it's in his home. And I'm over with my girlfriend in her home with her parents. And we're fixing stuff in the kitchen, doing whatever we do over there. And then when I finally got home that night, after all the youth people had left our home, I came back home, and then my dad sat me down, and we had a talk. He says, David, we were disappointed that you weren't here when everybody else was here, and they were asking, where are you? Oh. You see, when I'm 16, my, my brain was not fully developed, and so I was working on about 55% power. So it's just still a lot of... So there's a lot of dumb things. You just don't even think about it. You just do it. You're just dumb. And so as I was thinking about that, he said, David, I wondered where you were, so I drove over to your girlfriend's house, and there I saw your car parked out in front. And I thought to myself, I should go up there and knock on the door and let you know how wrong you were for not coming in. So get in the car. Let's go home. I thought about doing that, but I didn't do it. Because I didn't want to shame you in front of your girlfriend and her parents. So I thought better of it and just came home. But David, I just want to let you know that we were disappointed. We hope it doesn't happen again. And let's move on. What my dad decided to not do was to shame me and give me grace. And to this day, and I'm telling you, I'm telling you stories that are 50 to 60 years old or 50, closer to 50, not 60. I'm not that old. Closer to 50 years old. 45 to 50. <laughs> Lower 40s. Something like that. They're ancient. I know for a lot of you, you, you haven't even lived that long. I get it. But I want you to let you know that I still remember those things, and they became building blocks in my life. And because of that night of grace, that night of grace, and many others like it, because again, my brain was not even fully developed at that time, I find it easy to honor my dad. And I love that. There's other verses that we don't have time to get into, but resolving conflicts like that even that night could have been a major conflict, could have been major shame. A lot of blame, a lot of attacking. You don't love us. You put us in a terrible position. People were telling, asking us where you're at, and we were so embarrassed. You embarrassed us, David. Why did you? No, they didn't do any of that. They could have. They didn't. And they look back and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for the grace. And then also the last one is live the word without hypocrisy. So kind of interesting proverb, 26.1, like snow in summer, like rain and harvest, so honor is not fitting for a fool. In other words, there is no snow in summer. There is no rain in harvest. They don't go together. And the word should be lived consistently with the word. 
Hypocrisy has no place. A wise person lives the word. A fool is like snow in summer. It doesn't fit. And my dad, not perfect, but good enough for me to say, what he preached on Sunday and alerted 30 years of his messages, 30 years, I don't remember any of them. <laughs> I don't. Then again, my mother cooked 30 years of meals, and I don't remember any of them, but look at me. I'm obese, okay, but I'm relatively healthy. But my dad lived from Monday through Saturday the truth. And I cannot look back and say, what a hypocrite. That if there's one thing that I would say negative, that's not one of them. And then Paul goes on to say that, therefore, I, I don't want you to provoke your children to anger in verse 4. Because parents roll, we are here to rear our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Don't do those things that provoke them. I think about that night that he could have embarrassed me and my girlfriend in front of her parents. He could have provoked me to anger, but he chose to give me grace instead. And it's a wise person that knows when to do it and when not to do that. Deuteronomy 6 says, Hear, O Israel, to the Jews that were there in Ephesus, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. And then he, this is the all-encompassing teaching of the Father. You shall teach them diligently to your sons. You shall talk to them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as signs in your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Everywhere you go, you are a teaching instrument of God. My father is seminary trained, but he never sat me down to explain the kenosis theory and the hypostatic union of Jesus Christ. We should all know that, right? <laughs> no. We won't all know that. He never taught me how to study the Word and how to do, you know, uh, uh, basic Bible study methods. I think back, he just never did that. But what he taught me was the essence of what God says and who God is. And I appreciate that. You know, not all of us have dads where you could say what I'm saying, and I recognize that. Here's a guy, Demarius Thomas, Denver Broncos. I hated them when they beat the New England Patriots. I'm working that out. But Demarius Thomas is one of their key players. And you can't see it on the slide. I don't know why it didn't show up very well. And I'm sorry that it's a shirtless man. You, you can write to Eric Wakeling if you're disturbed about that. <laughs> but what I liked about this, I took the picture. He has his very muscular arms. And on this side, he has family first, tattooed there. And I thought, if I had arms like his, I'd, I'd tattoo that on my arms too. <laughs> Mine are so small that the font, you couldn't read it. it, it but on the other shoulder that he has the shirt pulled up, there's an image of Jesus. And written upside down so he can read it, it says, Jesus saves. He is a self-proclaimed evangelical Christian. When he was a kid, his mom was arrested and his grandma was arrested and put into prison for 20 years for drug dealing. Just recently, Obama uh, let her free. And he says, I had no parents. I was like an orphan. But there are a lot of orphans who have at least one living parent. But Demarius Thomas goes around and he preaches this. He says, there are a lot of orphans out there who have parents who are living, but they are not parents in their home. 
So I want to let you know, folks, and he goes around and preaches, that there are people out there to help you. I grew up with my aunts and my uncles taking care of me. I grew up with coaches, coaches who were my mentors. I grew up with pastors and deacons who were my mentors and my parents. I had a host of family that many of them don't even know who they are who had a part in helping me become who I am today and take any of those people out of the picture of my life, I would not be one that you are listening to today because I would not be who I am as a follower of Jesus Christ. So God brings these people like that for those of us who don't have dads that could speak about like I speak about my own dad, I realize there is a balance that is needed. So let me help with that. I've invited Stacy. Come on up here. Stacy, many of you know Stacy. Let's give her a hand as she comes on up here. <laughs> Stacy is, uh, many of us have known her since she's been here at Calvary as Stacy Igarashi, and she is now, as she prefers to be called, Mrs. Barnes. No. Stacy Barnes. Yeah. It's good to have Stacy. Like she is a newlywed and just recently married a few months ago. And so congratulations Thank to you, you and you. hope that's going well. Uh, and her husband Matt is over here. We appreciate Matt. And Stacy works with our fourth and fifth fourth fourth and fifth graders. And really essentially you are pastoring those young kids and providing that kind of ministry of discipling them. I remember Stacy telling me uh, a little bit about her background, and then we were talking, I was talking to her about Ephesians 6, 1 through 4, and she said when I was in junior high school, that was a very tough passage for me to have to live by. So I asked her, why is that hard? Tell us a little bit about your story. Yeah, as we were talking about this passage coming up this weekend, um, I was sharing that I remember being in middle school and hearing this passage, and um, my mom would take me to church, my sister and I, and it was during this time that I'm like, wow, I love Jesus, I follow Jesus, I want to do what he has written in the Bible, and, but this passage in particular was really hard for me. I couldn't figure out how, what does honor your parents, honor your father and mother look like when they're less than ideal? What does that look like? And I struggled through that. And um, just a little background is uh, my dad was not a Christian, is not a believer, not a Christian, and he's also just not a good man. And um, a dangerous man, a sociopath, a predator, and um, was a high school teacher for 20 years and had numerous um, relationships with high school girls, um, many of whom were my um, babysitters, and later when I got into high school, some of my own friends. And um, being a dad of two daughters, my sister and I, we weren't off limits either. And so, um, Unfortunately, yeah, we were victims of his as well. And, and my mom, even though she was a believer, was not a super strong woman. And so she knew about those things but just wasn't strong enough to be able to do anything to help us. So with that, going to church, just having seen that passage, like how do I honor him when it's not super safe to be in my own house or should be the most safe place? Um, and through talking to different youth pastors and teachers helped me with this. And we couldn't come up with, like, this one beautiful answer for everybody. But for me, it was go back to the first command, love the Lord your God. And that's what I chose to do. 
I'm going to love God first, and he's going to help me figure out the rest. And he did. And um, as we were talking about this, I'm like, man, I don't want this to be a super bummer story on Father's Day. Um, because it's really not. It, it's a sad story, but it's also amazing. I look back and still I'm overwhelmed by how incredible God is because though all those parts were super dark and painful and part of my story in my life, um, God has been working and he saw all that then and he's been working since to redeem and restore and repair all the parts that were broken. And even though my parents were less than ideal, I still had amazing people in my life that he put, and I can look back and see just a whole just lineup of incredible people that stood in that gap for me and were that parental example for me. And it was people that, like teachers and my friends' parents and um, even some of my relatives who they will never, ever know, even if I tell them, will never know the depth of the impact that they made in my life and just the kindness and love and how God just knew. He put those people there and took care of me along the way. And as I was thinking about that too, I mean, just recently got married and um, to a credible guy. And <laughs> um, I don't think I could have ever even dreamed up and wished for a family that's better. My in-laws are incredible. And my father-in-law asked if he could walk me down the aisle because he didn't want me to walk alone. And how lucky I am. Like, But God saw that part of the dark story and knew that later that he had something incredible for me. And um, so I was thinking about that. And, you know, each one of us are kids. We all have parents. And we don't get to choose who our parents are. And we don't get to choose the decisions that they make. But I somehow, probably because of God and I, our relationship, but somehow I knew early on I can choose to either live in the pain and the brokenness that was caused by not great parents, or I can choose to live in the hope that God brings. And he chose to do that. I chose, I'm going to trust that God's going to just take care of this and just seem to fast forward to now how he has and how he brings all these great people in my life to restore that. And just thinking about all of us in this room, for each one of you, you, you probably will never even realize the people that you're impacting could be your own kids, friends, or neighbors, or people that you see here at church who you might be impacting their life in ways that they'll never even be able to repay you for. And so, yeah, on a day like today, Father's Day, that we can really be remembering, even if your parents or your dad wasn't the greatest, that we do have a father who is always there, who will never leave you and won't hurt you. And, um, yeah, we can take hope in that. Well, your story is so encouraging to me. I, you know, I'm going on about my dad, and, you know, and then there's people out there that say, oh, I don't have a dad like that. I can't say those things. So that's what I wanted Stacy to share. I appreciate you being so open. It's encouraging to me that even after what your dad put you through and others as well, that here you are, 15 years she's been providing pastoral ministry in a previous church and now in our church as well. And boo-hoo, she's uh, actually going to want to spend more time with her husband than with us. And so we understand that. It's a good thing too. But we're thankful for your work here. But I'm thankful for what God has done and your willingness to share and be open with us and to see the, the wonderful, redemptive, renewing work of Christ 
to help you to overcome the past and to be put on a new path and that recognize the many people that have been part of your life that have helped you, sort of the surrogate fathers and individuals that have been parenting and mentoring and giving you that kind of wisdom that you needed. So thank you for being part of our church family to help us to see and really get the benefit of so many people over your life that have been serving that way. So we're so thankful for you. And so thank you for sharing with us. Let's give her a round. Thank you so much. Thank you. So I want to give everybody hope uh, that we are all imperfect people. Some of us have greater challenges than others, and some of it is rooted in how we were reared. But God wants us to all have that hope. As he said, I want it to go well with you. And so whether like Stacy or like me, whatever the story is, it can go well. As Christ becomes that centerpiece and the Heavenly Father, we experience his love that can override maybe the lack of love that we may have grown up with. So I've written a little letter on the front of the outline that's here. I want to read it. This is a letter that all of us who are children would love to hear from our fathers on earth. But the beauty about this letter is that it's really written by our Heavenly Father to each of us who in Christ have been saved and transformed. So let me read this letter. It's a letter to each of us from a Father in heaven who through Christ wants to give us this truth. These are taken from portions of Scripture and rewritten. Dear, and put your name, I was so excited the day you were born, for I know there are great plans for you in your life. I love and value you for who you are because you were perfectly designed just the way I wanted you to be. On the day you were born, there was nothing I wanted to change. While I want to give you your freedom to grow and express yourself, I cannot help but closely watch over you and thoroughly enjoy how you are uniquely living out the gifts and passions that come from me. There will never be a day that I do not love you. There is nothing you can do or say that will make me stop loving and caring for you. Even when you disobey, I may be disappointed, but I'll still love you every fiber of your body and soul. My desire and hope for you is that you would learn from those tough and challenging mistakes of life. And in those moments, I want you to know that I see you, that I, that I know the hurt that led you to those decisions, and I know the hurt that comes as a result of those decisions. You don't have to hide in shame with this. When you turn to me, you will find my arms wide open for you because I've never really left you, even if you felt alone. I really love to love you. You are my beloved child, and I am so thankful that I get to be your father. That's what God, in his word, says to us who are part of his family. That's the father that we can turn to and trust in. We like to worship him and honor him for what he has done for us. And if we can pray with you, we would love to pray and support you, and maybe some of these, you know, turn a little bit in your heart, and they're very hard. We would love to pray and help you through that. We have prayer points on either side. Love to support you in that way. But also we have the table, the communion, the bread, and the cup. That represents the body and the blood of Jesus. It's through Christ that we have Father in heaven. Has put my faith and trust in Jesus. Believe in him, faith in him, repentance of my sins. And he gives to us the adoption where the heavenly Father says, you are now my child. So come and take those elements to symbolize that relationship with Jesus 
the offering buckets an opportunity of thanks in that way as well. So let me pray for us as we worship the Lord. Help us, Father, as we turn to you now as a heavenly Father that loves to love us so much, as a heavenly Father that created us within our mother's womb, that designed us, personally customized us to be who we are, and that we have the privilege to choose to follow you and to live our life for you, and that no matter what rough patch we may go through, that, Father, you give us hope of redemption and renewal over those challenges of life. Thank you, Father, that you are a Father of grace and wisdom and that you give to us grace and wisdom to live our imperfect lives for you. Help us as we worship you now to give you thanks as our Heavenly Father. And we pray it in Jesus' name, amen.